Welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of Infinitely Prefer a Book. Today I'm talking with my friend Karen about Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Catherine. It's fun to be here. Yeah. Um, so until just recently, Karen was my boss. Um, this is actually one of our first, my first time doing this podcast in person. So if you hear a little bit different sound quality, that's why um, we're testing this method out. But Karen recently retired, and I just felt that um, goodbyes are always easier if you know the next time that you'll see someone, so it doesn't feel so permanent. Um, and it, and as my listeners know, I'm trying to also rekindle more of my relationships with people um, from my life, so I wanted to make sure I didn't let this one go. Um, and just a little bit of background. In my career and in my life in general, I've just been really lucky to have a lot of really strong women as mentors and examples to me and um, so I count you Karen as somebody who is one of those strong women examples to me so I'm really glad that you got to be that I got you to be um, a mentor for me during my career thank you yeah my pleasure of course yeah. <laughs> so tell the folks what are you up to these days what what are you filling your life with yeah so um yeah, so you, you pointed it out. I recently retired, so just about three weeks ago, and um, I took a trip right away, and that we basically played golf in the middle of winter down in Florida, so that was really awesome, but it didn't feel like retirement. It felt like a trip. And so then uh, we got when we got back to St. Louis, there was all this ice and rain, so we basically edged our way back to our house which is very rural and in the country which is why we're in person because yeah, I can't get <laughs> we can't do the technology out there but we barely got home because of this the ice and so then we were stuck for six days so I got out my first day I got out was two days ago <laughs> and that felt like retirement because this is a crazy story but I went to Walmart at 10 a.m. and I was the only one there it felt like <laughs> oh wow <laughs> <laughs> went as slow as I wanted. I was not in a hurry, and I had never experienced that in my entire life. <laughs> having Walmart all to yourself. <laughs> and, and driving on the streets and having nobody. You, I just wasn't in a hurry. I went the speed limit everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I found myself at a, a four-way stop, and it didn't realize it was a four-way stop. I thought it was a two-way stop. So, <laughs> so I was stopped, and the person behind me was stopped, and I'm waiting for the car to my right to go through, and I realized, oh, they have to stop. So I felt totally old. <laughs> but So that felt like retirement. And then uh, when I was in Walmart, I, I picked up a – it's near Valentine's Day, so I picked up a bouquet of flowers for myself, and I'm not really a flower person. Um, because it seems like a waste of money, but I put them back, I picked them up, put them back, and anyway, so yeah, I bought them, and I so enjoyed that, felt like a present, and it was too big for my little vases, so I split it into three vases, and it was, it's just been very pleasant, so that's, that's good. <laughs> so I haven't been retired long enough to give, give <laughs> any more stories besides that. <laughs> that's good, you're treating yourself already, I like that, that's really good. It was really nice, I'm enjoying, so that's nice. That's good. Yeah. So, we kind of know each other mostly from work, and so I, I know your work background a lot, but I guess I thought it would be interesting. Tell me more about your personal life and background, because um, you grew up in California, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I'm from L.A., actually, Los Angeles, and um, I, uh, I've been in Missouri, though, for a long time, so I, I, was, I grew up in L.A. I went to school at Humboldt State University, which is near the Oregon border, and then immediately after I graduated with my RN degree, I moved to Missouri. But I was at the Lake of the Ozarks, which is 90 miles south of Columbia. And uh, I was uh, I was actually a head nurse of an ICU that there was a little ICU uh, when I was 24 years old. So it feels like I've been managing my entire life. Wow! This idea of not taking care of anybody or anything is new to me. Yeah, that's so, that's huge. That's a huge change. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I've been in Columbia for 30 years, so yeah, it's cool. Went by pretty fast. And then you guys live out, as you said, you live kind of rural. So, and you kind of sometimes refer to it as the farm. Uh, yes. Do you guys actually farm crops no. or grow? No. You know, husband, so animal husbandry. My or husband um, is not underfoot much. He's got to be busy all the time. So we have 200 acres, and he's 
got something going on, a tractor to repair or a chainsaw, or but no, there's no animals other than our pets. Okay. But uh, he does plant trees, and he's been working with the Missouri Department of Conservation on plots. So he's he goes he's basically been creating, for example, monarch butterfly plot and quail hmm. plots and that sort of thing. So That's he, cool. Yeah. So he's having fun with that, and then he's planting chestnuts, which. Um, like Christopher Bond has a big chestnut farm, so Ted got some of his, my husband Ted got some of his chestnuts. So, but it's really just um, him staying busy. So it's it's very, very nice. I sent you a picture of it. Yeah, it looked idyllic, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very <laughs> nice. Um, but it is a project to get there. So when I was working, you know, I only had two days off to enjoy it. And the rest yeah. of the time, especially in the winter, it's dark when you leave and dark when you get home. So, yeah, yeah I'm... We're, I'm sitting by the fireplace. I, I'm. I. You don't know this about me, but or maybe I said it in passing. But I really have not read very many books. Unlike your other, the other folks you've spoken with, because <laughs> I've listened to all your podcasts. Um, I am a novice reader, so uh, that's one thing I want to do differently. I want to read. What kind of books do you want to read more of? Just. I mean, I don't. Basically, I like the idea of historical fiction. So this pachinko was good in that sense. So, um, but yeah, I'm not, you, in one of your podcasts you talked about, or I think it was one of your book, book what do you call it? Footnotes, them? yeah. Footnotes. Um, you talked about romance novels from steamy to not so steamy, <laughs> and you, you gave them a scale. And so, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I like substance. I like to know a little mm -hmm. more about real life. Yeah. Yeah. But nothing too dry. I mean, I've had dry my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> you had a dry life, and you're now you're ready for some. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> some science, interest here. Science readings for, you know, my whole life. Right. I feel like I want to turn on my right brain, the right side of my brain. I have a daughter in D.C., and I have four stepchildren that are in the area, so St. Louis and around the area, and grandkids too. So um, six grandkids on for my husband's children, and then I have two with my daughter. And so I started sewing when my daughter's daughter was born six years ago. So that's actually been my hobby on the weekends when I was at work. And you impressive because you sewed a bunch of gifts for everyone on our team. You gave everyone a travel bag. Um, and the, the men's travel bags were like these like really fancy like zippers and I don't know if there's Velcro, but it was like, I mean, it was like really fancy travel bag and the women's were pretty too, but I was like, the men's just seem yeah. a lot more complicated. They were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but I was, we were all impressed and you had thought of individual fabrics that went along with everybody's personality. So yeah, it was, was really, really fun. Really fun and, um, pretty cool to see and you make a lot of your own clothes I, I heard yeah is that true uh, yeah because when I, I started making clothes for my daughter's daughters who's now six and the I spent a lot of time in this one cute little darling pink outfit for her, essentially her first birthday and my daughter said don't ever make me a dress like that again after she wore it and I said what's wrong with it and she said it wrinkles oh, I don't no. have time to iron it <laughs> Cotton, for those of the sewers out there, no <laughs> cotton you have to press. In any event, so yeah, I started making clothes for me. <laughs> That's cool. That's a really impressive skill because I've, I've sewn a little bit in my life. Like I, I made a quilt when I was in high school, and I would sew a few like Halloween costumes and some clothes for myself. But I've always, they've always had more imperfections than I wanted, and I haven't taken the time to really yeah. dive in and take the time to learn and perfect that art of. Um, getting the precision you need to make your own clothes. It's really not art. It's well, maybe somebody artistic people would say that it's art, but it's really more geometry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm a math yeah. geek, so yeah. I actually like making patterns because it's you just basically the fit. You, if you get the fit right, you're in good shape. Yeah. So that's really cool. So Karen, you call yourself a novice reader, and I mean, obviously, you, you know how to read. You've read books. I mean, I remember one time you came up to me in a meeting and was like, I read this book. Have you read it? I want to talk to somebody about it. And unfortunately, I hadn't read it. Um, but I was like, I should read it. And we can just chat about it. Um, what kind of, what do you want to expound more about what you mean when you say a novice reader? Well, I mean, all of the, everything I've picked up has been, um, you know, related to work. Um, so science, essentially. Um, or human fallibility and you know human factors how do people make errors that sort of thing which is all very fascinating but it's not a story and about um, 
I don't know, maybe about three years ago, maybe four, maybe not even that long ago, my sisters and I got reacquainted. We're all, we all live in different parts of the country, and we started to hang out more together, because you can now <laughs> with technology and such. In any event, um, and we ended up having a couple Thanksgivings together, and um, we ended up reading a book together, and I can't remember what the first book was, but the idea that we came away with it with so many different perspectives, you know, we all were firm in, the, in what we had read, and yet we had different perspectives. And we had this wonderful conversation in rocking chairs, literally in my porch, and uh, it was just fantastic. And so then we committed to reading more books like that. So I think we're on our fourth one, but we kind of thought we'd do it every three months or so, but we're not all coordinated. <laughs> we don't, the deadlines aren't really deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but the notion of, um, so I, th I thought to myself, I'd like to get involved in a book club. And so the reason I found out about your podcast was I said something to you one of my final days and you said you know that you had a podcast which I didn't even understand but I thought okay I'll read a book with you and we can chat about it so yeah so this is a brand new experience for me but I I like the idea I've thought a lot about this book because of this recording <laughs> yeah and I think that is something about a book club or any kind of discussion group that you have when you talk about it you think more about it um as I was reading this book I was even thinking am I understanding all the it took me a while to kind of unpeel some of the layers that were in this book and I think after doing that I find that I like the book better a lot of times um, than just my initial first reading at it so um, yeah you'll have to um, find goodreads.com and, and become my friend we can share suggestions of books or I'll just text you different book suggestions if I have them because um, reading is a lot a really fun thing so I'm glad you're exploring more about it. Pachinko by Min Jin Lee is a multi-generational story of a Korean family who moved to Japan for a better life during the Japanese occupation of Korea. The story revolves around Sunja, the daughter of Korean innkeepers, who gets pregnant by a powerful man who cannot marry her. As an act of kindness, a Korean Presbyterian minister decides to marry Sunja and claim the child as his own and moves his new family to Japan. In Japan and in Korea, the Japanese looked down upon Koreans and Koreans face discrimination and tough living conditions. The title Pachinko is the name of a Japanese pinball game. The story spans almost 80 years and follows this family through ups and downs as they use free will to make choices and are acted upon by fate, much like the pinball in a game of Pachinko. Spoilers ahead. So the opening line of the book is, history has failed us, but no matter. So um, I actually listened to, or didn't listen to, I read an interview that the author had given, and they had asked her this question, what she meant by it. And she referred to the idea of just ordinary humans' lives aren't found in history because they're not recorded, there's nothing necessarily spectacular about them, and so so much of history is actually lost because they're not the kings and presidents and rulers of the land. Mm -hmm. So, but what is, what did that first sentence, do you think of anything that, that meant to you or? Well, I knew that it was provocative when I first read it, but I just skipped past it because I thought, well, I'll understand this later possibly. Yeah. But um, yeah, so no, I, I basically set it aside and didn't really come back to it except for, you know, I had read the same thing about the author's interview, and um, in this book, we'll talk late, you know, shortly about that, but there were two brothers that were, you know, completely close, but they had totally different, they had totally different experiences in life, and so this notion of that, that history doesn't matter when you're living your own life makes makes a lot of sense to me what she had said because they really in some ways there is a lot of historical precedence for one of the brothers and not or at least not so much for the other but yet it didn't matter they still made their own choices basically mm -hmm. regardless yeah 
So I will say that this was like my least favorite book that I've done in the in the in, the, in my podcast season. And, and Karen looks sad, which well, yeah, made me sad. <laughs> so I had a good time with it. And I um, I think part of that was just because it came after a gentleman in Moscow, which was like so good. It was just like kind of better than it was my favorite of all of them so far. So going from kind of my favorite to the next one, I think was a difficult transition. Um, but that's kind of why I'm really glad that we're talking about it. As we said, I think when I talk about a book with somebody, it makes me like it more. And so even just going through and really doing sort of the background research for this podcast made me like it and appreciate the depth of it more. So I think that is really good. Um, so I guess, yeah, just what were your overall reactions to the book? Um, what did you think about it spanning so many years? Um, yeah. Well, so you know I'm old now, Catherine, because I'm tired. <laughs> So um, actually, when the, this story begins in um, 1910, I think it is, and um, it, there's a chunk of time that goes by pretty quickly, but my dad was born in 1922, and so um, he was um, the same age as Sunja, or however, how did you say it? Sunja? Sunja? Yeah, yeah, that's how I said it. So she's the main um, matriarch in this story, the, ma the main character, right, right Sunja? And so, um, so I kind of it was really cool because this is set in Korea and Japan, and it's during a lot of um, turmoil that my dad lived through and that I heard about not not the Korean part or the Japanese part, but the American component of it, World War II, the Korean War, etc. And so I really it, this notion of I I'm, I want to do more historical fiction, read more historical fiction is. This was this fit that bill. Um, I didn't know anything about uh, Korea or um, Japan or anything. I had to get on maps and figure out where these places were to sort of sort this out. That was hard on me. Mm -hmm. It was good for me, but it was hard on me. But so yeah, I really enjoyed it because it taught me new places in the world. It taught me um, oh, a ton about discrimination. But I also, in particular, felt sort of a heart heart tugs, heart strings. My dad's gone now, but um, yeah, it made me think of him. And in fact, I my very first head nurse um, when I was young, <laughs> when I was 20-something, um, was from Korea. And she um, taught me a ton. And mostly she was so patient-centric. That was the part I loved about her the most is um, we were working on a cancer ward and her interest was pain control, you know, and, and, and she just was militant about it. And so anyway, long story short, my dad ended up befriending her. My parents were divorced, and so they were friends, um, played golf together for 20 years um, when after they were both retired. But I knew her very well. I saw her all the time because we were just friends my entire, you know, since I was 20-something. And so it didn't hit me till I finished this book that she was Korean, and it made me want to reach out to her mm -hmm. sons because I know her, I know her sons. Yeah. But anyway, just to hear stories. Yeah, you don't always know when you meet someone. You don't always know their history. You don't usually know their history, and you wouldn't um, if it's not your culture and not something you're familiar with. You may not know sort of the history of that culture. I mean, I think that's for me. This was the first time I read anything about this time in history. I mean, I was looking up a lot about the current laws um, for Koreans living in Japan. Um, yeah, there was just so much history that I wasn't even aware of. And just this idea that Korea really got bounced back and forth between China and Japan, and they were just so much conflict over this peninsula. Um, and, you know, just kind of so interesting. Um, the, the conflict that's still relevant today, right? It may have a different form, but it's still very relevant. Um, so, yeah, and I think it was, it was really interesting. To, it kind of went from kind of like this really traditional lifestyle in the beginning where traditions were very much alive um, to really post-World War II to this modernized lifestyle, much more global aspect of things. It was just a really um, interesting span of time. In one lifetime. I mean, right, really. And, right, because the people... Um, like, yeah, so Sunja and her mom, Yang Jin, were both alive at the, well, pretty much at the beginning and the end of the book. So, uh -huh. so it was, 
kind of pretty amazing what one life can can be encompassed in one life yeah. there is um, tons of poverty in the beginning you know just total abject poverty in the beginning and then enormous wealth by the time mm -hmm. um, Sunja's really child so really young Jean's grandson right I mean it wasn't even it was just is that one generation <laughs> feels like one or two generations. Two generations, yeah. They were right. living from, if you caught a fish, you ate, and if you didn't, to just total right. wealth. Yeah, right, like, um, like Mazazu was the, was her, was the youngest grandson of Young Jean, so the youngest son of Sunja, um, and she, Mozazu had owned all of these pachinko parlors. He was bringing in rock stars to play at his son's birthday party. I mean, just huge, huge, yeah, yeah, wealth, right. Yeah. So just to kind of give a background about what pachinko is, I think that was also kind of hard. It was so confusing at the beginning. Why was pachinko? I did not know that word before. Um, so basically, in my research, I found that it's a type of pinball game, and it's used for gambling in Japan. It's kind of analogous to a slot machine here in the United States. Um, the pinballs, I think, are kind of smaller than the pinball machines you might, the pinballs themselves are smaller than the pinballs that you might find here in the United States, I think. Um, but it basically, the way the business works is it's illegal for pachinko parlors to give out pride, give out money in response to your winnings in the game of pachinko, but they can give out prizes. And I guess they have what's called a special prize, which is kind of like the statue. And you get every, for more, you the more, Earning and the more points you get, the bigger you can buy. You can buy more prizes, and you can buy bigger denominations of this quote-unquote special prize. Um, and so you would take those prizes to another store down the street, where you would turn that in for cash, because it's illegal to get cash for the pachinko game. But they have a workaround. Um, I just thought that was really interesting. I've never. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really discuss it in the book at all, other than it was seen as sort of dirty bunny, right. seemingly, even right. though it was not illegal right nothing was illegal about the actual playing of the game or getting money from it it was all done above board but i guess it's kind of like we went to las vegas a couple years ago now and there's a mob museum it's about the mafia and their ties to the las vegas gambling scene and so i imagine it's just it's an easy way to launder money and things like that to be involved so i guess just a lot of shady characters. shady characters who are involved in this um, who could be, not that they are, but it's, it's an, a way for those people to maybe make money. Um, and I wanted to talk about kind of the concept as this game of pachinko as a symbol for the kind of game of life. On page 384, um, Mozazu says, they're talking about pachinko and how it gives, people just kind of want to play it because it gives them hope. And he says, life's going to keep pushing you around, but you have to keep playing. Um, what do you think about that? Well, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, to me, Mazasu was that way. He was resilient. He was carefree, much more so than Noah, his brother, who turned out to have a whole different ethic in his head, a whole different perception. So anyway, um, I didn't give it a lot of thought, but he was, Mazasu was resilient, and mm -hmm. so that was really my only aha from that yeah what that's interesting you? right okay so because um, I guess I was thinking about um, just in general all the gambles that they did make and how it did or did not pay off um, but it was interesting that you mentioned the difference between Noah and Mozasu's way of thinking about it because Mozasu kind of had this I'm going to keep playing the game I'm going to keep gambling whereas Noah had decided essentially at a certain point, game over, and he committed suicide. Um, and I guess I was just thinking about, too, their life, especially at the beginning, it just felt like they kept losing all the time. I mean, Isaac goes to prison. Um, just so much happens. Uh, Yosef gets uh, burned. burned in Nagasaki. Um, like, they just seems like they keep going and they keep going and they keep just knocking them down a lot. Um, so I guess I just kind of, and even Noah, you know, he had all this education, all this, he had so much, such a bright future in front of him, but he 
decided that that's not the way he wanted to have his future be paid for having his father be part of um the the mob and such so uh he decided to take his life so it just kind of just felt to me like they just kept getting redirected and i thought about there's a scene where mozasu he's a young boy and his boss at the pachinko parlor um was sort of fixing the pins and they do that every morning they sort of redirect they kind of fix the pins so that if a, if a certain machine is winning too much they fix it so that they it wins less mm -hmm. so, but it's always favoring the house i mean that's just the nature of gambling mm -hmm. um and so just thinking about the idea that i, mean, I don't know who the house is in this, <laughs> in this analogy mm -hmm. but it's just kind of interesting yeah i i just felt like they didn't have a lot of choices i i i um I, I never thought that they had too many choices. I to me the whole the whole book to me was about the social pressures. There were these enormous social pressures, and for for example, early in the book, Sunja gets pregnant, and even that, you know, I actually reread that section and realized that that really was a love story. I think that um, uh, Oh Hansu is that who it was yeah. Hansu. Hansu actually really did love her, but he uh, but he tricked her too because she had just lost her father. I mean, a, within yeah. a year, her father died, and she was very close to her father. And then this comparably elderly, I mean, compared, you know, he's ten right. years older, fifteen years older than she was, and she was only sixteen. Mm -hmm. He befriends her, and I didn't realize this till I reread it, but they were friends the entire summer. They were friends for three months. Mm -hmm. So for three months he was, and it, there's little bits and pieces in there if you reread it where they were basically just chatting. Mm -hmm. She she had a dull life. All she did was work. Yeah. And so and and yet her father treated her specially. Mm -hmm. And so you know how when you have a deep conversation and it doesn't matter yeah. if you work hard, at least you had a meaningful conversation. Right. It felt like it was three months of meaningful conversation, and then they ended up in this mushroom patch which it wasn't really a patch it was a place it was a totally different place and i actually thought that's where ying jin came from when i reread it oh it was from her maybe it was her original it hometown. was her and okay so they traveled sort of far to get there and then he molested well i mean loved her essentially but mol technically molested her because yeah. she's too young and yeah um had no intention of marrying her and so that set her course she nobody had choices after that it didn't mm -hmm. feel like and um so anyway that's an example of she couldn't be unmarried and pregnant it just couldn't be right the child wouldn't have a name blah blah and that was yeah. even in korea that wasn't even right. a japan thing so there were those social pressures and then moving on um that uh all the social pressures around when they were in japan and osaka and the um Isaac, who ended up bringing Sunja to Osaka because there was a church there he was going to um, pastor, and then he had social pressures. There were things he, you know, they they had to live in a particular way, mm -hmm. and then it ends up, if you look at it, it, ends up folding into Noah's life. Noah has his own pressures he puts on himself about wanting to be more like a Japanese and less like a Korean. For what reason, you know? Mm -hmm. It's all this social norms, basically. Yeah. The social norms drove that entire book for me, and that was what I got out of it. And I have one really weird thing to say. <laughs> Did you see the Grammys this last week? I weekend? didn't, no. So the Grammys, this was, um, for in case this is listened to sometime from now, it was February 11th or so, um, 2019. Anyway. It was t it was totally women centric, mm -hmm. and I was this book ended up making me um, be inspired that thank goodness we don't have the same social norms. Yeah. But anyway, it was it it ended up being I didn't realize until it, it was over, but it was highly women centric and women power, and mm -hmm. they did some they had some songs that were very provocative and. You know, I normally would have went, oh, dear, you can't do that on TV. And I was like, you can do whatever you want after reading this book. It's like, who's judging who? That's so, yeah, um, the whole that whole Noah thing was about shame to me. He was mm -hmm. shamed, and it, it was it was self-imposed. So, yeah. anyway, the notion of pachinko and having choices and stuff, I didn't see any choices right. to me. So, more, so maybe more sort of the randomness of the game versus any, any choice that they had.
Um, did you feel like Sunja had a choice with Hansu? Like, do you feel like... Well, yeah, I mean, Hansu, it turns out that Hansu believed that he could essentially have two wives. He could have one in Korea and one in Japan. Right. See, so, um, but she, that was just, yeah. I think that when she, when Isaac came forward and said he would marry her, that was she agreed to that mm -hmm. and beyond that she wasn't looking at Hansu as anything other than why are you still in my life yeah because you know she was actually really successful when they um, there was a part in the book when Hansu wasn't even around yeah and I was actually mortified when he came back because yeah. I thought she was doing great yeah. why are you coming back because they were, um, ha they had their booths the, on the, the kimchi street making money. Um, vendor, yeah. yeah. And doing okay. Yeah. And uh, they struggled to get their cabbage and whatnot, and that's when um, Kim Chango rescued them, and it turned out Hansu was behind that. But, yeah, if, if she'd have known Hansu was behind that, I think she would have avoided that restaurant, even mm -hmm. though it was more lucrative. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, man, Hansu, I really was just so frustrated with him like um yeah he's just a piece of work <laughs> and that's what he's I mean so, his, yeah. he was he was uh you know because he was wealthy he was Korean and yeah yeah his he had a, a Japanese father um adopted him his father-in-law yeah, yeah was Japanese adopted, and essentially yeah. adopted him right yeah yeah so he had that privilege position anyway um but yeah, so he just could buy whatever he wanted, and it never occurred to him not to. To him, that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, and it kind of—I think it just underscores the, just that social norm of the implicit sexism of like, well, this is what I want. Of course, it's fine. I'll just use women for whatever I want. Um, which yeah, just floored me and frustrated me. I do feel like he was had intentions that I don't think Sunja understood at the beginning of their courtship and I think in in that way even though it was a romance I feel like he was being he was manipulating the situation the entire totally. time yeah I th when I read that when I got through that section I thought oh this is how child molesters do it that's what I thought. yeah exactly yeah it felt like grooming there's an interesting notion too about what it is sort of the idea that your family and your bloodline makes you as a person and is influencing your actions later. Um, essentially, this is the reason why Noah had so many struggles once he found out who his birth, his biological father was, um, because Hansu was part of the Yakuza, the the, the mob essentially, um, and Noah just felt that there's nothing I can do to change that. He's tainted now by birth. Um, all of the things that Hansu had done for him were now tainted. Um, but then at the end, Solomon, who's Noah's nephew, basically says there's more to there's more to being something than just blood. So in that generation, a sort of mindset felt like it had shifted, whether or not it came from the wealth that Solomon grew up in compared to the poverty that Noah had grown up in. Um, and I just kind of wondered what you thought about what made Noah versus Solomon feel this way. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, um, as far as like being cursed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that, I don't know. Um, I, I think that Mosasu had, it could have been totally the wealth, but Mosasu did not have the, um, he was actually joking. Okay, I'm getting too many stories mixed up here, but he was actually joking with his son Solomon when they had to register Solomon in Japan to be to stay there for three more years. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they're technically Korean, even though neither one of them was born in Korea. Right. Either which is Masasu crazy, kind of. <laughs> or Solomon were ever even stepped foot in Korea. Right. They lived in Japan right. their whole life. Yep. And yet they had to register. They had to get a a card. I forget. I wrote it down here, but anyway, there was a card they had to get that sounded terrible. The anyway, obviously, it had to me. It had it made me think about what our situation is here in the United States. But anyway, um, so I just think Mosasu was much more casual about it, and thus Solomon was much more casual. Now, the the wealth for Solomon obviously. 
probably buoyed that, that they could be wealthy Koreans living in Japan and not even have citizenship. Mm -hmm. You know, that was bizarre. Yeah. But, but they wouldn't have felt the curse, whereas Noah... He for, he believed that the I think he that first of all the in the book basically the Koreans were treated as dogs they were called dogs they were put in ghettos uh, they they weren't they weren't you know there was so much um, they couldn't be bosses they couldn't even look in the eyes of the Japanese women for example there were so many examples of where they were inferior essentially literally inferior that Noah hated. So to me, he just felt Korea was a cursed land, is the way it felt to me, that he bought into it, in other words. He believed that. And as a result, he didn't want to be Korean. Mm -hmm. And yet that was all imposed by the mm -hmm. Japanese, essentially. Yeah. But then the Koreans also, they chided themselves also that way, like we're just dogs. Mm -hmm. We just have to take this. Yeah. There, there, there was a self, there was a whole lot of perpetuating... I don't know. So yeah. So what was sad to me was that that the external world can influence who these who you what you feel like about yourself if you believe it, if you go along with it. But you I guess you have to believe it when you're not getting the jobs and you don't have the opportunities and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's um yeah, it's it's sort of the way that Noah versus Mozazu reacted to very similar situations, um, and I, yeah, I just find it interesting how much, how different they are, but yet how parallel their lives became. And they both became managers of Pachinko. Noah, who had said that Pachinko was this horrible, awful thing, ended up being he able to support job. his family. He took a job. He took the job. Yeah, he could have made a choice. He took the job. Right, he did. So, yeah, yeah, very interesting gamble that he, he put forward. Mm. Um, and then the idea of also being cursed, like you said, um, there's a point in the book where Noah is taking his son to some sort of historical like museum or something or a shrine, and they're giving a story about someone who had was cursed, um, and the little boy asked, how do you reverse a curse? Mm -hmm. And essentially the answer was, the truth must be acknowledged. And um, at that time, Noah is passing as a Japanese citizen, even though he technically doesn't have Japanese citizenship, he's Korean by birth. Um, and I just kind of thought that the truth being acknowledged was sort of when Sunja came to visit him and he kind of had to face his truth and I don't know that the curse lifted, but at that point, he decides to kill himself um, rather than maybe have the curse lifted. I'm not really sure. It kind of made me think a little bit. It was really sad when he died. I <laughs> I said out loud, I was like, no. <laughs> I was really frustrated. It happened so fast. Huh? It did. It really did. Yeah. The other, um, the other cursed, um, the th other three brothers that this curse thing I think came up was with the, the three that were, well, Isaac and his brother Yosef, and then they had an older brother. And the three of them were, were they Japanese or Korean? They were Korean. They, they were, were North Korean, Korean from Pyongyang. Okay. And um, they were, the, the older one was a Christian, basically became a martyr for his beliefs. And then I was Yosef the middle one. Mm -hmm. And Yosef was just the opposite. He didn't want to... Come, he didn't want to take a stand like that. He wanted to just live his life and do the best he could and take care of his family. That was his interest. And then Isaac, who was very um, frail as a child, um, was also a believer. So anyway, it, it to me it felt like so was was that supposed to be cursed too? Was that re representative of some sort of a curse that the that that family was also cursed? I don't know mm -hmm. because all three of them had tragedies. The, yeah. So there were several themes. We've kind of talked about a, a few of them. Um, sort of the racism, definitely the discrimination that was present. Um, definitely sort of income inequality in terms of Noah wasn't, Noah's company, the pachinko company that he ended up working for didn't hire foreigners. So he was passing as Japanese, but also undercover because he, if he let people know that he would be kicked, let go from his job. 
Um, and then Yosef's company, uh, they just blatantly didn't pay Koreans as much as Japanese people. Um, the teachers, even at the schools, were just derogatory toward the Korean students and did not have any expectations for them and did not set them up well. Did you see that line where you couldn't be a teacher, policeman, or nurse if you were Korean? Is that amazing? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so blatant. Um, and we've seen that, I think, in a lot. I think it's just interesting to see racism in a different way than we have it in the United States. Not that, I mean, just... Um, yeah, it's just kind of like it's a, it's a universal truth that we as humans have to grapple with and overcome, I think, that we just feel the need, I guess, to oppress the other, whatever they are, um, if it's just a different nationality or a different skin color or whatever it may be. That's just something that is common across the whole world. And, that, and I, I appreciated this author because she did... It's, it felt like she cruised through so many different social issues mm -hmm. um, throughout this book. Again, it spanned, what, 80 years or so. But I wrote down all the issues that um, that she cruised through. So I'll just, do you mind if I just? Yeah. Speak. So like clothing. Remember there was different, the Koreans wore different clothing than the Japanese. So actually you could visually tell one caste from the mm -hmm. other. And then the bullying and you know cast and then the food shortages like for example they couldn't buy meat but they could buy the bones to make soup you know right that was so sad I couldn't believe it and um, oh the other so not that these are necessarily only Korean but but the themes that I it was as a novice reader this is what I'm enjoying about authors is how do they think to put all this stuff in there how can they mm -hmm. do how can they theme together this story with by throwing in anyway so tuberculosis tons of infant deaths uh, obviously war inflation the black market wages the ghetto colonization I didn't even know what that word really meant that when they in the book they talked about um, Japan colonizing um, North Korea which which the examples in the book were that the, the taxes began to increase and then the people had to sell off their land to pay the taxes and pretty soon they had no more land mm -hmm. And then, um, of course, the sex, the various, you know, the, the really um, sex, you know, gay sex, and um, the fact that Sunja was so young. It, so at racism, um, that whole citizenship thing, the mafia, which was the Yakuza, or Yakuza. Yakuza, I think, yeah. And then alcohol, the prevalence of mm -hmm. alcohol. That was wild to me. What's mm -hmm. up with that? That even when you're poor, you can get yourself some alcohol. I think that's common a lot of places, yeah. And then prostitution, abortion even, uh, religious persecution, and yeah, that's, that's the extent of my... Oh, ego. There was a couple of examples of ego. For example, Yoseb, who was trying to be, quote-unquote, a man to take care of his family without his wife having to work, and she wanted to and it looked forward to working but couldn't, he um, got a side job working on machinery and didn't want to tell her because that was below his standard. And so he scrubbed his nails, get his nails clean before he came home. Yeah. I think, oh my gosh, where, what happened to honesty? Yeah. And uh, problem solving together. <laughs> you know, right. Well, definitely the marriage was one-sided in a lot of ways in terms of authority, right? Right. But yeah, those are all, that's really, I like that you created that list. That's a whole slew of issues that she addressed in this book and it's just it's a lot I mean she really covered a lot of ground um, and I read that she based a lot of these stories off of interviews that she did when she was living in Japan um, I guess she lived in Japan for a few years and interviewed a lot of people Korean living in Japan and got some of these stories so a lot of it is based off of real-to-life situations. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting. Can't make this up. <laughs> yeah. No, maybe you can, but anyway. <laughs> well, and she said, too, in one of the interviews that I saw, that people were just, when she when people would tell her, the, her their stories, she'd be shocked. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened to you, and how could you have lived with that? And just, they almost thought it was amusing that she had that reaction, because to them, they never had the level of choice that she had as an American. Mm -hmm. um, and so just really, really interesting. Yeah, and the other thing, I kind of enjoyed reading the article, you know, t in other words, 
if you read the book, it, it, I read the electronic book, and at the end was the, these mm -hmm. comments. Yeah. And so it actually opened up my eyes. I almost wish I had read that in the beginning. Yeah. So, but one of the comments was that she was, as an author, she was impacted at the very, very beginning of her career. So it took her, she says it took her 30 years to write this book because at the very, very beginning of her journalistic career, she heard about a 12-year-old Korean boy, yeah, 12-year-old Korean boy who was bullied in the schoolyard and ended up committing suicide, jumping off the roof of an apartment building. And that's what was the or the starting seed of mm -hmm. this whole story. And in fact, that story is buried two-thirds of the way into the book in this tangential way, not a character. She didn't, It's not a character that we knew about or fell in love with or anything. It was just a right. side character. But the, the policeman who had to file the report about that was a sort of a character that we come to know and appreciate. So anyway, I just that's the part that thrills me about books as a novice reader is how do these authors do that? Mm -hmm. The yeah. spinning of the tale the whole, and yeah. putting it all together in a yeah. way that draws just you in and makes sense. All those interviews that she did but when she realized she didn't have the story right. She said she wrote her first manuscript and it started in 1983 or something and then when she moved to Japan she realized, wait, wait, it started way before this, so mm -hmm. thus the interviews and I think no wonder it got I forget the award, but it got some sort of, uh, not the award, but a... It was a National Book Award finalist. Finalist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's gotten a lot of acclaim yeah. um, since it's been published. Yeah, really, really cool. Alien registration card, that's what it, that's every three years for children born after 1952. 1952, like that's not, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> That's they my generation. <laughs> Every three years, they're having to get that. His dad said, "Let's go get your dog tags." So he was joking right. about it, even though. Yeah, and it made me wonder about the term "dog tag" because I I associate that with, I guess I never really thought about the word "dog" being put on there. I associate it with sort of I guess Vietnam veterans maybe or maybe World War II veterans people wearing dog tags, but when they mentioned that, I was like, oh. Maybe that's the origin of that word is that you're like a dog just tagging you. And I was like, yikes, get that you is on a leash. so interesting. Yeah. Um, very interesting that yeah. I had never thought of that before. So other themes, um, we've talked a little bit about the sexism and it just the blatant, I think for me, was just the preference of sons over daughters and how you know, for example, Hansu had this whole family in Japan. He had like three daughters, and yet he was willing to go through all of this trouble and headache to harass Sunja and her family because there was a son from her. And so I just, it just kind of floored me um, thinking about that. It was really, I kind of, I mean, the sexism was so blatant and so present, and I understood that this was a, historical novel, different culture kind of a thing, like, so I'm, I'm willing to give it leeway, but it's still, I think, from coming from my culture and my background was very grating to me to just see over and over again all the different ways. Yeah, see, um, you're young, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, so I live this generation, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, remember that when, or do you remember when during the Vietnam War they say, oh, the women are burning their bras? I've heard of that. I was not alive during the Vietnam yeah. War. <laughs> so, I mean, it, you yeah. Know, yeah. Gloria Steinem, have you read it? Yeah, Gloria I haven't Steinem? read it. I don't think I've read her, but no, but I know who she is and yeah. of her. Yeah, she's. Anyway, so yeah, there was a. There was. So, yes, it's very awful, but it's only. Re that's why I enjoy the Grammys so much. There was so, mm -hmm. so much freedom on the stage <laughs> and so much power. I was like, woo, yeah, I guess this is. <laughs> you know, kind of a culmination of, I've, from reading this book, when you realize how much change happens in 80 years, mm -hmm. and then you're 62, like I am, you think, wow, yeah, I guess there has been a lot of change. So, yeah. yeah. So. And there has been. I think it showed in the book, too, um, at the end, uh, Solomon's girlfriend, Phoebe, they end up, she decides, I don't want this life anymore, and she leaves. And mm -hmm. she go and, you know, I mean, it's kind of sad. I think she was hoping that Solomon felt the same way, and they could reconcile but at the same time she just said 
packing my bags, see you later. I don't have to ask for permission to do this, where that would have been unthinkable for Sunja um, to say anything like that. Yeah, totally. It was a, that was another good character that the author stuck in, basically, yeah. that she was independent. I can't be me here. Yeah. This isn't, I can't be me. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. I enjoyed that, too. But, yeah, that was serious about the sexism. It was, it was really, really thick in there. Yeah. And even Sunja, the fact that they couldn't name the child, the child wouldn't have a name. What is that? Yeah. Well, and it, well, it's, well, this was kind of crazy. So after Noah was born, I guess, so Noah was born in the middle of sort of Sunja and, um, is it Kyung, who is it? Oh, yeah, Kyung-hee. Um, they had an argument with Yosef. They had gone out and sought work, and he was really mad about that. And essentially, Sunja goes into labor, and Isaac comes in, and all in that process, the baby's born, and Isaac goes out to kind of console Yosef and says, hey, let, let's just be happy, and what do you, you should name our baby, like, because you're the, the head of the household. And I wanted to be like, you didn't just go through like 12 hours of labor, sir. You know, you don't get to name somebody else's child, your nephew. But that was how it was. And that I think that must, I don't know, I didn't look into too, too deeply into that tradition, but it sounded like without having a family name and the father gives the name, it just seemed like that name was really, really important and it came through the father's line. So right. without a father, you don't have a name. a name, which is really interesting. Yeah, isn't that terrible? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, super interesting. Yeah, and and actually that fight wasn't over them um, going to work. It was over them clearing his debts. Oh, that's right. It was over yeah. him. Yeah, that's right. So he kind of lied. He, 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 didn't, he wasn't honest about his debts. He went into right. enormous debt and wouldn't face it. And he borrowed um, the equivalent of 120 yen and had to pay back 312 yen or something like yeah, that. Yeah, some, some crazy, crazy inflation number. like that. Yeah. And so then the girls handled it. This is what I mean by problem solving. We're, women are just problem <laughs> solvers, right? We don't, we, don't, we don't go. I mean, it seems like it seems like the girls I hang out with, the women I hang out That's with, it's like, okay, we got a problem to solve. Let's do it. What's the yeah. situation? Let's go. Right. And I think that could sometimes come out of, like in this case with Yosef, if you're always the one who gets their way, and they're, then you never have to problem solve. And so for him, it's like, he he just assumes he takes it on it's a really heavy mantle to bear like he's going into all this debt i'm sure he and it's always in the back of his mind that he's in this debt but he, for some reason culturally or whatever he doesn't feel like he can share that and and yeah. and um, i'm not a man or whatever right so yeah. it, it's all wrapped up into his identity so yeah. that's interesting yeah um what about the parent-child relationships well i loved the beginning of the book um, because they were so pure for example um, the, the the very first right after the right after the um, the line about um, the history history fa history but no matter sorry I'm forgetting history the line. has failed us yeah but no matter yeah right after that line you hear about these two fishermen that are madly in love and have these children and that then then they, they're never named mm -mm. You know, they're never named. No, that they're was ever so named strange. yeah yeah and then, um, and then Huni's born. Huni's like the beginning of the of this mm -hmm. storyline. And then Huni ends up marrying. And Huni is disfigured, by the way. So he's he's there is they assume he's not going to have a wife or go on or and no one would want to marry him because they're afraid their offspring will have. Yeah. So he had a um, cleft palate and a foot that was twisted outward, and so it caused him a lot of pain and problems. But he was a happy guy, and so he. He gets matched up with his wife, who's young, and she loves him because he's got a sweet spirit. And then um, Sunja is born into that sweet spirit, and mm -hmm. so that was a wonder. That was yeah. a wonderful, very, but very short. But they had some cute. The, not that they, she, the author, had some. You, you just felt like they were just a unit. That they. Oh, I know that the men usually ate together. And then the women ate together, but not in his family. He ate with his mm -hmm. wife and yeah. daughter, and he planted her a watermelon patch and um, cultivated the watermelon patches so they were like babies. Anyway, mm -hmm. so there was a lot of tender, loving care in that. And um, then, um, yeah, And but after that, 
was there any more beautiful children <laughs> besides Masasu and Solomon? And well, I just I think I don't know of any more beautiful um, situations. I mean, I think it's just interesting. Kind of each there's a lot of different because it's a generational book. There's a lot of different parent-child relationships. Um, I really kind of wish we could have known Isaac longer. I, I feel like I was really sad that he was just sort of a almost a flash in the pan of their history together. Um, but yeah, just kind of it's interesting that like Noah, even after he basically says, "I'm disowning you all. Don't find me," he still sends money home to his mother every month you know that's such an important thing and then we find out that he was also visiting his father's grave every month that he was still performing these duties that were expected that he felt that were expected of him um even though he had essentially disowned his family um um, i also thought it was interesting just the theme of suicide and i was trying to see because i feel like i've heard a lot about suicide in like japanese or um, other asian cultures being prevalent, and I and I did look that um, Japanese suicide rates are about three times as high as the United States, wow. um, or maybe maybe twice as high. As, essentially, they have the same number, but they have a, a smaller population as the United States. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting because Noah's wife Risa had her dad had committed suicide um, from a patient safety event, which I thought was very applicable to. <laughs> Our work. I don't remember that. It was he had given the wrong medication to a, oh, a patient. Right, right. See, <laughs> anyway, it's kind of funny. Um, but so he, his, her father was a doctor. He committed suicide, and basically that had put like a stigma on her family her whole life. And then I thought it was interesting that Noah, knowing that, also chose to commit suicide. And I just thought about, obviously. I was devastated that he committed suicide because I think that's just really sad in general. And then um, just with knowing that the stigma that we put on Risa, that here she has the two sort of most important men in her life have committed suicide. And I just I kind of thought, wow, that's so devastating. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's where I picked up the shame theme, that it was all about don't shame us. There was a big, you know, uh, anyway, and I think... Gosh, who, who gets to define shame? But anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so just, I guess before we wrap up, I wanted to just talk a little bit about sort of the, the, the fate of these Koreans living in Japan now. Um, I was looking it up. Um, essentially, the San Francisco Peace Treaty that was the end of World War II and the end of American occupation in Japan, because post- World War II, Americans were occupying Japan, keeping law and order there for like five or six years or something. Um, And so with that treaty, basically Japan had to give up their rights to Korea so that the Koreans in Korea were no longer Japanese citizens. And that meant that the Koreans who had been born in Japan also were no longer Japanese citizens, even though they may have, like Noah and Mozasu and Solomon, been born there. Um, And they still are no longer citizens. So that is still an ongoing thing. Um, And they had to do that registration for that alien registration card every, at age 14, every three years until 1993. So that was not that long ago that that was ended. Also, I found out that Japanese-born Koreans who have not become citizens could still technically vote in Korea, but not in Japan. So that's, again, another implication and a quality of life factor if you can't vote and influence the society that you're living in currently. So I thought that was really interesting. But it made me wonder if America is unique in that if you're born here, you're a citizen here. I think we are. And I don't know how unique we are. I don't know um, how widespread that is, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I never thought of it, but I thought that's something we need to protect. Yeah, and and just think about the confusion and the, I mean, how amazing is it that you could live, your grandmother or your grandfather could have been born here, but yet you are not a citizen, um, even though you're clearly living here and contributing to society and paying taxes. So That's the whole DACA thing, right? 
DACA is Deferred Action Against Childhood Arrivals, and so they arrived. Oh, they weren't born here. They weren't born right. here. They arrived when they were very young. Right. Um, so, yeah, but still, I mean, it's immigration issues are really politically relevant now, for sure, here in the United yeah. States. Um, but I think it's just, it is interesting to, to look at the Koreans living in Japan and concerns about that as a sort of a type of, like, if that were to happen in the United States where we were to try not to give citizenship to people who are born here, what would that look like? That would that could affect so many people, um, you know, like Barack Obama, for example, ran for president. His father was an immigrant. Would he have had citizenship even though he was born in Hawaii? So, I mean, so those kinds of things, it would impact who could be, who could run for office, who could uh, make the rules. And I think um, it could create an elitist class of where, unless you were an original person living here at this date and time, you're Come not a citizen. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was very relevant. Yeah. It was an impactful book for me, as I said, because I didn't really realize it, but the notion of um, wanting to know more about Thelma, my dad's friend, my old mm -hmm. um, head nurse, I really, um, I think that's, if his, I don't know, anyway, that feels like I missed something there. I had a whole opportunity to learn more about that and didn't. So that struck me. And then the business about um, women are so much, at least in America, or at least the women I know, we have it so much better in terms of our opportunities. And um, But I understand that there is not equality yet. And so um, watching those Grammys was <laughs> really fun for me <laughs> to realize how much the book impacted me because honestly, yeah. several of those dances were on the edge, but I enjoyed every second of them because I thought, you do whatever you please. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So now is the part of the show where we give recommendations to our listeners. So I wanted to start with you, Karen. What is making you happy that you'd like to recommend? So, um, yeah, I've already talked about a couple of them. One is, I think you should buy yourself flowers. I <laughs> agree. Were, That's a good idea. Treat yourself. <laughs> I, I thought because it's Valentine's week, they may have been less expensive than normal. But anyway, I appreciated them, and they're still beautiful, and I'm enjoying looking at them in three different rooms of my house. That's awesome. So that's, that's good. But um, the first thing that came to mind really was listening. I think... Um, I think listening is so important and I think you have to learn how to listen and that's something my job taught me so um, anyway I just feel like there's so many people with good ideas and you have to listen so that's I just wanted to recommend better listening if you're not a, already a good listener so. that's a good thing and then um, from a book perspective I love this book called Chasing Fireflies by Charles Martin is that the one that you mentioned to me at that meeting? I don't I, remember because I, I mentioned feel like you two mentioned it. different books to you on two different occasions. But yeah, but I don't know why I love that book. But it was the first time in my life, my limited uh, pleasure book reading life, where I could not let those characters go. I had to read that book twice because I wasn't ready to. I just needed to live in that land again with them, and so that was really a good book. But it starts out really creepy so when you read the first whatever it's called the forward yeah yeah that's kind of off-putting but it's really good and then um, the 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 pleasure books I have read over the years have primarily been by Wilbur Smith he's from South Africa and he's a historical fiction writer and so the very first book that is the first of a series of historical fiction that takes you from, I don't know, maybe 1800 South Africa to uh, Nelson and Willie Mandela. It, the first book is When the Lion Feeds. So that's 30 years ago, maybe hmm. 40. Uh, really fan South African, so it's about elephants and tigers and humans and diamonds and things like that. It was really a fun read. That's good. So well, I haven't have read anything by that author, nor have I read The Chasing Fireflies. So we'll have to try out mm -hmm. both of them. That's great. So and what about you? I am recommending, it's kind of an old series. It's the PBS masterpiece classic, um, Victoria. So it's with Jenna Coleman. This is, I, I think there's like 
several four seasons out now. Um, it actually is one of those things where we don't have great like we have cable, but we don't have a DVR box because cable comes with our apartment rent, so we can't turn it off. Um, but we've been cord cutters, quote unquote, for a long time. We've been just doing Netflix, Netflix for a long time. Um, and, and as I've mentioned before, I have an interesting relationship with Amazon. I wasn't sure I wanted to go onto Amazon Prime, but I ended up paying $60 to become a member of our PBS station. And that gave me access to all these different masterpiece PBS shows um, that I had been wanting to watch but didn't have access to them because they weren't on Netflix. So I was really happy to donate to PBS and also to start watching a few rep, um, a few different shows. And Victoria has been the one that I've been watching. I just finished the first season. And sometimes the humor is a little kind of hokey, corny. Um, I do prefer like a really serious drama, but it's still kind of, it's still really fun. Um, and the relationship between Victoria and Albert is really very, you know, it appeals to me as a romantic, someone who likes to read romance novels. Um, it is very fun. So I've really enjoyed that. So, okay. all right. Well, that's our show. And Karen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. It's really fun. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you for listening to this episode of Infinitely Prefer a Book. If you like what you hear, please show a friend how to listen and subscribe or leave a review on iTunes. I love to hear what you thought about Pachinko and what's making you happy. You can tag me on Instagram at infinitelyprefer-a-book or you can email me at infinitelyprefer-a-book at gmail.com. Next month's book will be our first nonfiction book of the season. We will be reading Mrs. Sherlock Holmes by Brad Ricca. Happy reading!